Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. If I haven't met you before, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors of Eritas, and I have the privilege to uh, oversee our staff and get the uh, oversee the ministries at Veritas, and so um, it is just a, a great privilege to be one of the pastors and elders at Veritas. Um, guys, to, to look around this room and to see what the Lord is doing, uh, I hear stories uh, from Matthew and Richard and Jess of what the Lord's doing in your hearts and lives, and that was our hope when we came um, and the Lord called us to plant a church here in the Urbana area, it was zero desire for Veritas to be multiplied. And 100% a desire to see lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it is just a joy to see you guys worshiping, uh, to see you praising our King, and to see Him being glorified in more and more places. Uh, we want to see Him glorified to the ends of the earth. And the reason we want to do that is because he's worth it. He absolutely deserves the whole world's worship, including Cedar Rapids, including Urbana, Centerpoint, and all the surrounding areas, and all the places where he has never been, his name has never been mentioned before. He deserves those places worship as well. So that's why we exist. We want to see um, mature disciples raised up. We want to see you go out and be sent out as everyday missionaries, and we want to see you glorify God in everything that you do. Okay? All right, so this morning we're going to continue in our series, looking at the life of Jesus. If you've been here with us this summer, you have uh, heard a little bit about that. Um, in the life of Jesus, we have looked at uh, us being familiar with a lot, some of the things about Jesus' life, maybe not a lot about Jesus' life. A lot of us are familiar with the birth of Jesus, right, Christmas time. We're familiar with the death and resurrection of Jesus, but kind of all the stuff in between we often look at it and go, I don't know if I'm super familiar. Like, what did Jesus prioritize? What did he value? How did he live his life? And as a result of that, if he's our leader, how do we as followers of him live our lives? All right? So we want to become more familiar with the life of Jesus so we know how to follow him more closely and more deeply. Okay? So this morning, we are going to talk about the compassion of Jesus. We've talked about, we, we mentioned the birth of Jesus. We've talked about the identity of Jesus and the baptism of Jesus and the temptation of Jesus. Today, we're going to talk about the compassion of Jesus. Now, when you think of compassion, <clears throat> when you think of compassion, there is no doubt that every person in the world, if or close to it, Everybody's going to say, yes, if our world was more compassionate and if everybody was more compassionate, then our world would be a better place. Anybody agree to that, all right? I think you should, right? If, if we were more compassionate people, our world would be a better place. Now, here's the key, though. Most people in our world, even if you're not a believer, are going to say that, right? Yeah, if we were just more compassionate people, life would be better. Our world would be better. Now, we've had nonprofits over the years, I mean centuries, that have been created around the foundation of compassion, right? Compassion for the poor, compassion for the dying, compassion for the orphan, compassion for the addicted. Like, and we could just keep going on and on, like all these nonprofits. And a great thing started with kind of compassion at their core. They saw something in our world and they said, man, that's not right. We need to do something about it, okay? But even today, we've had... For-profit companies 
that have said, we need to have compassion training for our employees. Maybe you work at a company that's like that. But that compassion training may come out as like, man, we need to be better listeners as employees. We need to be more empathetic as employees. We need to tolerate people's behavior as employees. And then you start getting to that point and you're like, wait a second. That, that feels a little off from the compassion of Jesus that I know. But if everybody values compassion, and we would say as a church, compassion is a good thing, but everybody else would too, what makes the compassion of Jesus unique from the rest of the world? That's what we're going to wrestle with this morning. What makes the compassion of Jesus different from the world's compassion? All right, so if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. <coughs> Sorry, let's try this. Instead of just coughing in your ear like that over and over. So Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at four verses specifically. But then we're going to uh, bounce around to a few uh, as well that will all be on the screen. So Matthew chapter 9 verses 35 through 38 says this. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. Teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every disease And every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, what you have here at the end of chapter 9 is a transition in Jesus' ministry. So, up until this point, Through chapter 8 and chapter 9, even before that, Jesus has been healing a lot of people. He's been calling out sinners. He's been hanging out with the sinners and tax collectors. And all throughout this process, he's been critiqued and ridiculed for being around the sinful people. Now, in the midst of all that, you would think like, oh, Jesus is doing ministry in this huge, huge area. Actually, it was this really small area. Now, we see it now. We're like, man, this was amazing ministry. It was amazing ministry, but it was really uh, in a small, small space. At the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, there was this area called Capernaum, all right? And this is where all that ministry has taken place that we know of. And it's amazing that all these wonderful things are taking place in such a small place now as we get to the end of chapter 9 like we just read he says and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages so now his ministry is expanding beyond that little area now we're not going to get into chapter 10 but I'm going to reference it again later so you need to hang on to this in chapter 10 what we're going to find is Jesus expanding his ministry multiplying his ministry through other people So what he's going to do is he's going to name his 12 apostles and then he's going to send them out to proclaim the gospel to the world around them. So what you have starting is something really small is now expanding into a much, much larger ministry. And in the midst of this, again, he's continuing this ministry and what does it look like? He's teaching in their synagogues. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and he's healing every disease and affliction. So he's busy doing really great ministry and then something occurs. Let's look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, you might have verse 36 memorized by the end of this because we're going to keep looking at it over and over and over, all right? 
So in the midst of this, he's going, his ministry's expanding, and then he sees the crowds. Now, who's in the crowd that day? We don't know specifically from this text, but we know if we take the rest of the Gospels together, oftentimes when there were crowds together, it was lost people, because they're like, I'm very intrigued by this Jesus guy. It was religious people. They were intrigued for a different reason, because he's like, he's their rival, basically. So there's lost people, there's religious people, and then they're his disciples or his followers, okay? So in the crowd, there's this mixture of all these people, and he sees the crowds. And he sees the crowds. When does he take notice of them? When he's doing a lot of great ministry. Again, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, healing every disease and affliction. In chapter 9, all the way up until this point, this is what he's done. He's healed a paralytic. There was a woman who had an issue with blood for 12 years. No doctor could help her. Finally, in the midst of a crowd, she touches Jesus' garment. Many of you know the story. And her faith heals her. Jesus, through her faith, heals her completely. So Jesus is like seeing in the midst of the crowds, but he sees individuals in the crowds. There was a girl that had died that he raised from the dead. There were two blind men that he gave sight to. And there was a demon-possessed person that he took the demons away from. Great ministry. Like, on a good day, if you said, man, I wish I could do those things. That would probably be a good day of ministry, right? Like, oh, today I healed two blind people. I cast out some demons. I raised somebody from the dead. That's a great day of ministry, right? Probably a great life of ministry. There's some great stuff happening for Jesus. In the midst of all that great stuff, he notices the crowds. He takes note. Guys, the first step of compassion is to notice people. The first step of compassion is to see people. If you're, if you're going to be a compassionate follower of Jesus, a prerequisite to that is to see people. Guys, busyness is not an excuse for not showing compassion. Do you think Jesus was pretty busy doing wonderful ministry? Was Jesus doing bad things? No. We're not even talking about like, oh, don't go sin, be a sinner over here. Like, hey, guard yourself even when doing great ministry that you don't miss the needs right around you. I've got this in my mind that God's called me to. I can't see anybody else. I can't notice the crowds because that's not what Jesus does. Compassion requires us slowing down. Ministry did not stop Jesus from noticing people. Now, many of you have heard a story that is very similar to this, right? It's the story that Jesus tells us, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Many of you have heard this story. There's a, there's a guy and he's going down the road. And Jesus is telling this story because he's trying to prove the point of who is your neighbor. So he said, hey, the most important things are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And somebody goes, well, who's my neighbor? So he tells this story and he says there was this guy walking along and these other guys rob him and beat him up and they leave him for dead. And then in Luke chapter 10 verses 31 through 33, this is what Jesus says in the story. (coughs) Now by chance, a priest was going down the road and when he saw him, the guy that was left for dead, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, 
as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had what? Say that again. Compassion. So, this guy is left for dead. A priest walks by. I don't know his motive, but maybe it's, man, I got some religious priestly things to do today. I don't have time for that guy, so I'm just going to walk to the other side of the street. And then a Levite, very similar to a priest, sees the guy, probably got ministry things to do, and he walks around the guy. Doesn't stop, but a Samaritan who is very different ethnically from this guy that's beaten and left for dead, looks on the guy, and he's the one that has compassion. So for Jesus to notice the crowds, it required him even slowing down in the midst of all the great ministry that was going on. So my question to you is, are you too busy to stop in order to be compassionate like Jesus? Is your life too busy, maybe doing really good things to be compassionate like Jesus? So let's go back to verse 36 again. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He had compassion for them. What is biblical compassion? Now in the Old Testament, compassion was very similar to pity or mercy. All right, So oftentimes you'll see the word mercy or merciful come up. And it's really talking about being compassionate. Okay, And so in Exodus, we're not going to put it on the screen yet. But in Exodus chapter 34, what you've had is the children of Israel. They've been enslaved in Egypt for a long time. And God's brought them out. He had compassion for them while they were in the midst of slavery. He looked upon them and said, this is not okay for my people to be enslaved by other people. So I'm going to do something about it. And he shows mercy or compassion and brings them out. Well, then they wander around in the wilderness for a long time. And as they wander around in the wilderness, they need food and they need water. And he looks upon them with mercy or looks upon them with compassion. And he says, I'm going to give you daily bread, manna from heaven. I'm going to give you water. You're not going to thirst. So all along the way, even when the Israelites decided to worship other gods, he was merciful to them. And at one point, their leader, Moses, is up on this mountain and he's meeting with God. And God's given him the Ten Commandments, given him the laws. And God reveals himself as much as he could to Moses so that Moses doesn't die. But this is what he says in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. So this is what the Lord is saying about himself. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, that could be compassionate. Same word. The, a God merciful or compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So God says, hey Moses, I'm going to tell you more about who I am. I'm going to reveal my character to you. And what is a characteristic of God that he's compassionate? Guys, compassion isn't something that the world just created. Compassion existed before the creation of the world because it was a characteristic of our God. So if you ever find yourself going, you know, I'm not not really a compassionate person. I'm good at other things, but I'm not really a compassionate person. You might need to question whether you're looking like God or not. Whether you're representing Jesus or not. If you kind of go, yeah, I'm just not really compassionate. Well, our God was. He absolutely was. 
So what about the New Testament? So in the Old Testament, it's really related to pity and mercy. And when I talk about pity, I don't mean in a demeaning way, right? Like when an older brother looks at a younger brother and says, oh, poor pitiful you, right? Like we're not talking about that. Like looking upon somebody else and going, oh, this is not right. With the situation that you're in, that's not okay. That type of pity, okay? So Jesus, we're not going to look through all the times that talks about Jesus having compassion just for the sake of time. But let me just tell you the people in the New Testament that Jesus has compassion on. He has compassion on the sick, the hungry, the demon possessed, the mistreated, the hurting, and the lost. Now, I'm going to get a little academic for just a second. Hang on, it's not going to last long, okay? So in that, the time period that the New Testament was written, it was written in Greek. Now there's kind of two separate parts of Greek. So there's a classical Greek that most everybody spoke. And then there was the Greek of the everyday person, all right, called Koine Greek. And that's the language that the New Testament was written in, kind of the language of the people, not this classical Greek. Because in classical Greek, there was no word for compassion like Jesus had. So the gospel writers created a word to say something is unique about Jesus' compassion and we want to be able to express it. So they create this word compassion that we have and the root word that we, that um, the bigger word, the Greek word that they came up with is the same English word that we get the word spleen from. All right, that's not what you were expecting there. All right, so, but something like deep into your bowels, all right, a gut feeling that Jesus has. Some of you had plenty of gut feelings, right? Like, um, guys, the first time you were in middle school, like, I'm going to date myself, and you decided, like, oh, I got a girl's number, and I'm going to call a girl for the first time, right? There was a gut feeling. You're like, I don't know what to do, and you're, like, stirring inside, and you're like, this is not okay, like, right? There's this feeling, or maybe, like, you're going to play in a sporting event for the first time, or it's the big championship, and you got some stuff going on inside, Now, we're not talking about that type of gut feeling for Jesus. Jesus has deep inside him, he is moved in his innermost parts with pity as he looks upon the crowds. And it's, man, this is not right. This is not okay. You, these people can't continue to live this way. So he's deeply moved to his innermost parts with pity. Why? It says, back to verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, this is not the first time this phrase sheep without a shepherd is shown up in the Bible. It's actually shown up a couple other times in the Old Testament, all right? So there's something unique that Jesus is trying to say about his compassion here When he looks upon them, why is he compassionate? Because they're like sheep without a shepherd. In Numbers chapter 27, we talked about the Israelites. Moses has been their leader for a long time. And as he's been their leader, he's getting ready to die. And he knows he's getting ready to die. And he knows the Israelites need a leader. So he's praying to the Lord in Numbers 27, 15 through 17. And this is what he says. Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation. Who shall go out before them and come in before them. Who shall lead them out and bring them in. That the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. That's interesting. Here's a 
group of people and they don't have a leader, they don't have a shepherd. Because he knows he's about to die. He's their shepherd right now, but he's about to die. And he's praying, God, send them so they're not sheep without a shepherd. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 22 is the other time this phrase shows up. In 1 Kings 22, we have this prophet, and he's a really uh, minor, minor prophet, not even one that wrote one of our books that we have in, the, in our Bibles, but his name is Micaiah. And Micaiah is prophesying against a really wicked king, and his name is Ahab. And as he prophesies against Ahab, Ahab is kind of over the children of Israel, over the Israelites. And this is what he says. This is what Micaiah the prophet says in 1 Kings 22. And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. So Moses says, man, if I die and there's not another leader, these Israelites are going to be sheep without a shepherd. Now you're under a wicked king. You don't have a good shepherd. You don't have a real shepherd. They're scattered about. They're like sheep without a shepherd. So what is the issue, this stirring Jesus compassion here? It's improper leadership that leads to shepherdless people. Improper leadership that leads to shepherdless people. People are now operating in life without a shepherd. And he looks upon them and he goes, whoa, 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 that's not okay. That's not right. Now, it was more troubling to Jesus that these people didn't have a shepherd than it was the fact that they were under the Roman government and under Roman government oppression. He goes, there's something deeper going on than just the Roman government. And in the midst of all these physical issues, health issues that were going on with people, he goes, there's something deeper going on. Because for Jesus, in his life and ministry, his highest priority wasn't people's physical well-being. Yet for a lot of us in this room, we go to our connection groups, and what is the, all the prayer requests are simply about everybody that's physically sick. What if that shifted to, and now, do we, should we pray for the physically sick? Absolutely, yes. Don't let go, oh, that Michael guy came in and said we shouldn't pray for the sick. No, we should pray for the sick. But we also should pray for the shepherdless people who are lost and wandering in this world. They're wandering aimlessly like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and helpless. When's the last time that you found yourself praying for sheep without a shepherd? And had compassion for those people. Again, Jesus' compassion wasn't just for the physical lives of people. In fact, in Mark chapter 1, this is what Mark chapter 1, 32 through 38 says. That evening at sundown, they brought to him, Jesus, all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick and with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there Jesus prayed. And Simon, which later becomes Peter, and those who were with him searched for them. And they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And why am we pointing this out? To show that Sometimes in Jesus' life, 
He had to be faithful to a higher mission. Now, the point of this is, here's Jesus. He's been doing great ministry work again. He's healing people, casting out demons. And one morning, he gets up way early before everybody else. And he goes off to himself and spends time with the Father. And as he's spending time by himself with the Father, because that's what he needs to kind of rejuvenate his ministry for the next day. All his disciples come running for him, and Simon specifically, Hey, Jesus, I know you're out here praying, but everybody's looking for you. You've just healed all these people. You're casting out demons. People need your help physically. And what is Jesus' response? Let's go on to the next town so I can preach there. That's why I came out. Jesus was going after a a mission. And the mission some days said, heal the sick. Other days it said, the sick isn't the top priority today. It's the shepherdless people like we see in Matthew 9. Now, to be clear, Jesus never turned a blind eye to the hurting, to the helpless. He had often addressed those. He often healed them. But for Jesus, his compassion dealt with a much, much deeper problem. When everybody else saw the tip of the iceberg, Jesus saw below the surface, right? Jesus and his followers, many of us in this room, we need to see below the surface when it comes to compassion. We need to see deeper than the homelessness. We need to see deeper than the addiction. We need to see deeper than those that are stuck, addicted to alcohol, addicted to pornography. We need to look at people as sheep without a shepherd. There's something going on much deeper than those things. Now, it doesn't negate those things. But for Jesus, he saw deeper. He felt deeply. He entered in. And the reason he got deeper is because he knew that there were, in the crowds, people that bore the image of God. Like your family members, like your neighbors, like your co-workers. They bore the image of God and he looked upon them and said, man, they bear the image of God, but they're failing to glorify God in their lives. And their lives are marred by sin And now they're separated from God. That's the deeper problem. The deeper problem isn't the physical situation. The deeper problem isn't what you see on the surface. There are people that are separated from their creator. And that's a bigger deal to Jesus. And what is the result when we're separated from God as shepherdless people? We live our lives led by sin and we live our lives led by self. And in Judges chapter 17, verse 6, says this. In those days, there, were no, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. When there was no king, when there was no shepherd over them, what did the people do? They did whatever they wanted. You do you. Oh, does that seem familiar? Whatever feels right to you guys, you do that. Now it hits a little closer to home, right? It's not just the Israelites without a king living life and doing whatever they wanted. But now we see the reality of how we can live our lives that way. Like sheep without shepherds. And the whole idea there, as opposed to doing what was right in his own eyes, is doing what's right in the Lord's eyes. 
This is what shepherdless people begin to do. Shepherdless people wander aimlessly. They get lost easily. They miss the dangerous things around them and they can't find satisfying food because they're not very smart animals. So what does a shepherdless person look like in our world today? It might look like your neighbor with a drinking problem. It might look like your coworker with an anger problem. It might look like the homeless, the prisoner, the lazy adult still playing video games in the basement all day. It might like, look like your neighbor that seems to have everything right on the surface and they're obsessed with money and they're trying to find everything that will satisfy them and looking everywhere apart from Jesus. They're acting like sheep without a shepherd. Shepherdless people may be a family member who shows up to church every single week and has zero commitment to Jesus. Because these are shepherdless people. And when we look upon those people, we need to have this compassion of Jesus. We need to see those people that may be family members and friends and not go, oh, why are they bothering me? Why do they keep doing that? Why? Because they're sheep without a shepherd. And we look upon them, we go, that's not okay. They need to hear about the good news of Jesus. And deep within you, you're stirred with this deep sense of pity because they're acting like sheep without a shepherd. Followers of Jesus see the crowds. They feel deeply for them. They're They feel deeply for the dead and the broken and the lost, those without God. When was the last time you felt deep pity for shepherdless people? Now, when I say feeling deeply, that idea can be confusing because everybody feels a little different, right? At different times. God wired us and created us different, right? There's some of you in this room, you are like, you are deep, deep feelers. And every, you, you cry at any moment, right? There are tears. There's empathy. That's not a bad thing, right? Not a bad thing at all. There's others of you in this room that are men, right? I'm, like, I'm just kidding. Like, like, super stereotypical there, right? Like, I probably cry more than a lot of guys. But still, I understand that personalities can play a role and what deep feelings end up looking like, okay? Some of you, you're moved with compassion and there's tears. Others of you, you're moved with compassion and you go, man, I'm going to give and I'm going to sacrificially give to help eradicate whatever this issue is. There's others of you that are like, I'm not going to cry about it. We're going to come up with an action plan and we're going to take the hill right now. That's what we're going to do about this and that's what compassion ends up looking like. Guys, deep pity may look different, but do not use your personality as an excuse not to show compassion. Don't use your personality as an excuse for a hard heart. If you are not bothered by the brokenness in this world, you need to look intently at your relationship with Jesus. If your heart has become calloused every time you see a homeless person, you need to look at your relationship with Jesus. If your heart has become calloused by a family member that continues to operate like a sheep without a shepherd, and you're just hard-hearted, look at your relationship with Jesus. If you hear 
us ever talking on Sunday morning about unreached people groups, that there are two to three billion people in this world that have no access to Jesus. We have plenty of access to Jesus. There are churches all around us. There are places in this world. If I went to them and I said, hey, have you ever heard about Jesus? They would go, who's that person? Somebody in the next town? No, he's the savior of the world. They've never heard about Jesus. They don't have access to the good news of the gospel. If we ever hear those types of stories, then we go, eh, stinks for them. And you need to look at your relationship with Jesus. If you ever look at people that are addicted and you go, nah, and there's no compassion, look at your heart. If your heart is callous to a Democrat, if your heart is callous to a Republican, if your heart is callous to the poor, a different, different ethnicity, I would question your abiding in Jesus at minimum and whether you have the spirit of Jesus at all, at most. Jesus had compassion. He felt this deep pity because he knew a deeper problem existed. There were people that did not have a good shepherd. And then in verses 37 through 38, he says this. He does, he says, man, I got to do something about this. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So what does Jesus do? He clarifies that, yes, there's a need, and then he gives some action. He takes action at that point. So he has seen the crowds. He noticed the crowds. He feels deeply within him, like, this is not okay. I've got to do something about it. But he sees even more deeply below the surface that they're shepherdless people, not just people that are dealing with these issues up here, but something way deeper going on. What does he do? He says, yes, there's a lot of shepherdless people, There's actually way more than you know. There's a plentiful harvest of them. There's a plentiful harvest of shepherdless people. And right now he's saying there's a labor shortage. And over the past couple years, we know what labor shortages do. They're not good, right? Lots of businesses have closed down. Thank God that he is building his church and not just depending on us as laborers. But he goes, man, I I choose to use you. I want to send you out. Remember, he's done all this ministry. Now he's expanding his ministry. He looks upon the crowds. He feels deeply. And what does he do? He says, we need to pray. We need to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send more laborers out in the harvest field. And then in chapter 10, what is he about to do? He's about to send out his 12 apostles. So he sees shepherdless people everywhere. And what is his action that he takes? He's going to teach his disciples what's going on. To give them motivation of, man, I need to start living this out and following the life of Jesus. Jesus' answer is to provide a good shepherd to them. And they're going to hear about a good shepherd when people pray. They're going to hear about a good shepherd when people are sent out. When we live as everyday missionaries. So Jesus saw something, he felt something, and he did something. He wasn't simply empathetic. The answer for Jesus was to send out more compassionate evangelists. The answer for Jesus wasn't, hey, you need to be compassionate and just tolerate sin around you. That's not what he says. Guys, purely motivated missionaries. That's what Jesus is after. So what makes the compassion of Jesus different than the compassion of the world? 
This is how I'd say it. Jesus' compassion provides a depth of attention, care, and solution unlike anything the world offers. Jesus' compassion provides a depth of attention that the world says, like, oh, I'll just look over that. Jesus didn't look over it, but he provides a a depth of care. Like, oh, I'm going to feel deeply for this brokenness. But it doesn't stop there. He goes, I'm going to provide a deep solution, deeper than any solution, and that solution is the good news of a good shepherd. Guys, when the world offers a bed to somebody without a bed, the Christian offers a bed and a home in glory. When the world says, hey, I'm going to help you get clean and get sober, the Christian says, I want to help you get clean and get sober, and I want to tell you how you can be clothed in righteousness. That's what Jesus does. That's what followers of Jesus do. Jesus saw the deepest problem, felt the deepest feelings, and offered the deepest solution. And that solution, he was unwavering in how unique that solution was. So how does this play out? Church, we want to be a, a people who see the crowds. And we feel deeply for those crowds. And when that happens, you don't just go, oh well. You start praying, God, send. If I can't be the one that goes, you send other laborers to them. But if I need to be the one that goes to them, God, send me. Our job is to help shepherdless people find the good shepherd. That's the kind of church we want to be. But this is what you need to know. It's costly. It's costly to show this kind of compassion. It's going to cost a lot of heartache. It's going to cost money at times. It's going to cost a lot of time to spend time with shepherdless people. But who is our ultimate example of how costly compassion is? It's Jesus. He looked upon us, the lost, the broken, the separated from God. And what did that lead him to do? Die on a cross. Because that's how much compassion he had for you and me as shepherdless people. It led him to the cross. And compassion may lead us to really costly things. Imagine if we lived with this kind of compassion as a church. Imagine if we felt such pity for the world and we were unashamed that Jesus was the only solution. There's two ditches that we could fall in when it comes to compassion. And we're almost done here. You could be a compassion-centered church without the gospel. And many of you know them because many of you have been in part of those churches. They have great social programs that address a lot of social issues in our world. And they cannot remember the last time somebody repented of their sins and was baptized. It's been years, if not decades... Super compassionate, lacking the gospel. That's one ditch. The other ditch is that we would be a gospel-centered church without compassion. And that is my bigger fear for us at Veritas. That we would know a whole lot about Jesus and we would look upon the crowds and we would go, Oh, I can tell you the Bible verse that says why you're doing something that's wrong. I can tell you the Bible verse that says somebody needs to help you. That Jesus is the solution. And then we do nothing about it. We know the gospel, but have no compassion. 
Guys, both those ditches are wrong. Compassion-centered churches without the gospel, that's not the kind of church we want to be. Gospel-centered church without compassion, that's not the kind of church we want to be. We want to be a gospel-centered church full of compassion. That when we see the crowds, we go, man, those are shepherdless people that need a good shepherd. And the amazing thing is, we know how to tell them to find the good shepherd. It's Jesus who laid down his life for the sheep so that they might have life. That's the kind of church we want to be. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Father, thanks for the way that your word, looking at your compassion, has gripped my own heart as I've studied. Father, I pray that it would grip us as a church, that we truly would be known as a compassionate church, completely sold out for the gospel. God, help us to see people like Jesus. Help us to feel deeply like Jesus. And remind us often, God, that Jesus is the deepest solution that we can offer. May we look upon the broken and the hurting and the lost and the shepherdless like Jesus. God, that's hard though, and we need your help. So, Father, through your Spirit, empower us to be compassionate like Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.